Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. If you juxtapose Lisa, and I, I don't know Lisa, I appreciate her call, and, and, and I'm sure you know they've had plenty of challenges, but seems to have an amazing attitude. If you juxtapose Lisa with, with Reverend Barber, you see two different you see two different views of America. You see one view that is that there's always an incident to be portrayed in a negative way. There's that, that people are out to make life difficult for others. That there's an in, there's an insidious uh, underbelly to to everywhere in America. Because everywhere he goes, this stuff follows him. It doesn't follow him. He creates it. He is a creator of adversity. And and then you see Lisa, who came to the show, called, felt felt like she should call and, and, and share her story of she, her daughter, her disabled daughter and, and their experiences and their experience of, of this country is very different or at least portrayed in a very different way. And, and there is no doubt, there's no doubt anyone who heard her, you know that there's been adversity in that life. You know that there's no way that that was an, is an easy path. And yet they make the best of it. They look for the good in others and, and others are, are, are very helpful to them. And I, and I seriously, everything I've seen about this country, that's what makes this country great. We are a country that likes to do, to do good things and to have higher aspirations and to help others. I see it all the time. And it was just kind of bizarre to me. The, the, the story with Barbara, it's always that way with him. And he tried to make a story, and he did. And, and the media bought it, and, and now he's going – look, because he's fallen kind of out of – favor with the media in many ways, meaning because there hasn't been that much strife. He hasn't been able to find the way to to twist the knife and and make us divide us. It's not working like it was. And so now he had to go find a story and seeing the color purple with a special guy carrying a stool and a a video camera and making sure they get everything. That's that's his new claim to fame. Now, uh, earlier this month, by the way, we had had Sloan Rackmuth on last week, and she is Education First Alliance here in North Carolina, primarily education-focused, and she is someone, or she and her group, has, has been tagging and looking at the situation at UNC through the lens that all of the stuff that's happening at, at Yale and Harvard and, and these Ivy League schools about anti-Semitism, there's some of it happening at UNC. Now, I'd seen a story earlier today, and I sent it to her. I said, hey, are you guys involved with this? Because I know she's been looking at that. And she's like, no, we're coming. But no, that's not our story. So this is from uh, JTA.org. And it was a, a fascinating story. It's, it's from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. It it's, uh, was published, well, yesterday evening. Earlier this month, a lawyer acting on information from a pro is And I haven't seen this, in, I haven't seen this anywhere in North Carolina, by the way. But I know this stories. I knew this story was percolating from friends and others that that contacted me and said, "Hey, there's more. There's more to this story." And so when I found it, I found it mentioned in a, in a national a national group, and so went to the story, and here it is. 
Earlier this month, a lawyer acting on information from a pro-Israel group of North Carolinians told the federal government that their state's flagship public university should be investigated for allowing anti-Israel rhetoric on campus. So the woke UNC apparently is anti-woke or not, not it's, it's displaying its true colors, so to speak. So this tar hole nation, excuse me, <laughs> the UNC nation finds itself. Now, I said that a little bit as a state fan, but really, it, it's a shame that our flagship school who finds it, you know, it finds itself amidst tearing down statues and, 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 and in woke world often. And it, it finds itself in a convoluted, hysterical place so many times because it goes too far. So the government has acted on this investigation. The U.S. Department of Education announced today that it has opened a new Title VI investigation into UNC Chapel Hill, along with two others into George Mason University and Newark Public Schools related to complaints of mistreatment based on shared ancestry, end quote. The investigations round out a busy year for the department's civil rights office, which has doubled down on anti-Semitism. Although the department does not publicly reveal the reasons why uh, any of that Title VI investigation, a staffer confirmed in a letter viewed by the Jewish Telegraph Agency, Telegraphic Agency, the, the news that we're reporting this from, that its UNC investigation is related to a complaint filed earlier this month by a lawyer affiliated with a pro-Israel nonprofit in the state. A person with knowledge of the George Mason University investigation also told JTA it was related to allegations of anti-Semitism. David Weisberg filed the UNC complaint December 7th, alleging that a member of the university faculty and a guest speaker of campus both made a member of faculty and guest speaker both made anti-Israel comments in the weeks after October 7th Hamas attacks. Reach for comment, Weisberg said the information in the complaint comes from Peter Ritz-Reitzes, a board member of the Voices for Israel of North Carolina, a registered 501c3. UNC Chapel Hill has fostered a hostile environment towards Jewish and pro-Israel students for years, I hope the OCR's investigation leads to UNC providing Jewish and pro-Israel students and faculty with a safe and productive campus environment. So in a way, you have to wonder, does the, is UNC just suffering from Poison Ivy League envy? Is this Because this, is, this has been a known thing for a while. It's not new. The October 7th attack kind of highlighted it and made it, it kind of brought it out into the open that it was okay to be anti-Jewish, I guess, on UNC campus. We'll see how this one shakes out. Because UNC for years, I can remember when there was a, a, an attempt to develop a Western Civilization Studies program, a donation from Art Pope at the time, and, and the faculty and staff lost their minds. Instead, they wanted an, an African-American studies curriculum and not a Western Civilization curriculum. UNC has long leaned left in, in issue after issue after issue. And, you know, there's the old joke that uh, there were. UNC student, a state student that had a, had wishes, and the UNC student said, "I wish we could build a wall around Chapel Hill to keep all the riffraff out." And then they go to the state student and says, "Well, okay, what's your wish?" And said, "I wish you'd fill it up with water." Good, good interstate rival humor there. But but Chapel Hill is Berkeley East. I mean, it is a, a haven of leftist elitist mentality. I mean, Wake Forest, which you would think would be more elitist, is a private university, or even Duke. But we don't. I mean, Duke has some of it, but really the 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 school that has the most of that Ivy League elitism is definitely Chapel Hill. And it has, for decades, been that way. And that's where you see the most leftist stuff come out of. Is Chapel. So when, and that's when I give Josh Stein a hard time, because Josh Stein spent a lot of his time, that's where he grew up, was in Chapel Hill. He went to Ivy League universities. He's the first and only statewide elected Jewish 
elected rep. I mean, it's going to be interesting. He's tried to shy away from a lot of that controversy with respect to October the 7th. He has not really he said, you know, kind of we reach out to Israel, kind of kind of these couched positions like Governor Cooper has done. They've stayed away from it. I know that, you know, as Sloan pointed out or a few days earlier, that the state the Democrats have, you know, kind of pushed aside the Jewish Democrat caucus and kind of said, we don't want to recognize him. So that they're all, there's a problem inside Democrat circles in North Carolina and elsewhere with this. I don't know how Josh Stein navigates that. So the party's going to supposedly, once Josh Stein, if he wins, and we'll talk, by the way, I have an update on all of the polling information in North Carolina, actually from AOL of all places, to give you a heads up of where we are in the gubernatorial race here in North Carolina after the break. But it is fascinating that that the Democrats have this problem. And I know if you're in Josh Stein's campaign, you've got to be thinking this is the worst possible thing to happen. One, they've got a, Harvard is involved, his alma mater. It's where he went to school. So Harvard's involved. He's avoided having to say anything about what's going on at Harvard with the plagiarism, with the anti-Semitism. He's avoided that. And he can only go so far avoiding that because at a certain point, he either embraces that he is Jewish and is proud of that or or he's not, and that that's an entirely different problem for him. We'll see how it shakes out. I think he's hoping it'll all die down and go away before the race gets underway. Seriously, but we will see. But the Democrats have a problem. I don't know how it's going to shake out. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out 2023 getting ready to be history it'd be interesting you know as you look back on your life we look back on a lot of our life but we rarely we kind of do it year by year here but during the rest of the year we just look back but it's interesting what what people will remember most about 2023 and and it's the year of hunter biden in many ways and and the year of trump in some ways i i think the persecution of trump will will We'll see what happens. I, I, I don't know. I, it's funny that it, that it would rattle almost every human on the planet, but it doesn't seem to rattle him. And he see, every time they throw something at him, he seems to become more popular. It's like some kind of supernatural critter, you know, that, that no matter what they do. And, and you would think Democrats, instead of making a martyr of him, would just try to run a race against him. But it looks like they're, they're terrified. They, they actually appear to be terrified. It, that's the weird part about it, is they look terrified. So don't don't know. I don't get that. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in North Carolina. There's a great piece over at AOL. Yes, there is still an AOL out there. And just to give you a little bit of update from that, and they've written a piece. And I think the News and Observer may have had it in there. I don't know. But, but anyway, it's on AOL. There are still a lot of unknowns about how the race for North Carolina governor will shape up next year, but multiple sh- polls show which candidates voters favor in the primaries. And here's what the recent polls about both say. The largest group of Republican primary voters in a recent East Carolina poll, almost half, still haven't decided who to vote for. Now think about that. With all of the media and all of the hype around Mark Robinson and 
and you know that Dale Falwell's running the Treasury. He's been on this program several times. And Andy Wells is not in the race anymore. I didn't realize that as of yesterday, but he is out of the race. And then you, you've got uh, uh, Bill Graham running. So those three are running, and yet half – and you would think, oh, Mark Robinson's all the – oh, Mark Robinson's it. Half of the voters in the Republican primary haven't made up their minds. So even with that tremendous lead, half of them are still like, I don't know who I'm voting for. So there's a long way to go. I mean, I would have thought it was almost a slam dunk, but I'm not entirely sure it is. The poll was conducted November 29th through December 1st before the December candidate filing period in second place after Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson with 34 percent, followed by lawyer businessman Bill Graham at 8 percent. Dale Falwell has 7 percent and Andy State Senator Andy Wells has left the race, but he was at 3 percent. ECU said its sample of likely Republican primary voters had a credibility interval similar to a poll's margin of error of plus or minus five and a half. Little shy at 5.4. Robinson is a a MAGA Republican who went to former President Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida this month for an event. He easily won his primary for lieutenant governor in 2020 amongst a large field and appears to be popular with the base. Western Carolina University politics professor Chris Cooper said the ECU poll simply shows that people know who Robinson is more than they know who the other candidates are. The Republican presidential primary is crowded and competitive compared to the Democrat primary, and that could drive voters to the polls. A new December poll from the left-leaning public policy polling. Now, now I want to say Trump has not endorsed Mark Robinson. I many people thought he had. You know, it, it was almost portrayed that way, but he has not been endorsed by by Trump, and, and that's that's documented here as well. In fact, I'm going to skip ahead in this one and go back a little bit. Robinson has received two endorsements from state party leaders, so he received the insiders. He received Tim Moore. And Phil Berger. So the people, two of the people who have been in Raleigh for a very long time. So Robinson's trying to portray himself as an outsider when really the insiders look like they're, I don't know. Is that a control mechanism? Do they think they, because Tim Moore's getting ready to leave at the end of his term. He's hoping to uh, fulfill, you know, he wants to be in Congress. Uh, Patrick McHenry's leaving. Moore has drawn a, 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 a very favorable district for himself. We'll see how that turns out. So he could have gerrymandered his way into Congress in many ways, picking the voters. Robinson, whose role as lieutenant governor means he is president of the Senate, has been endorsed by Phil Berger and Tim Moore, the Republican top duo who have controlled the General Assembly. I don't know if that helps or hurts him. A lot of the grassroots are not as in favor of those two. So does that help him or hurt him with the grassroots? I don't know. Moore is leaving at the end of his term and running for Congress. He will continue to serve as speaker. So he's running for Congress while serving as speaker through 2024. So he still has power. Robinson is expected to get Trump's endorsement, though the former president has stopped short of using that word when he complimented Robinson at the Florida event. So that's very interesting to see what's going to happen in that race, because I, I would have thought now I happened. I've spoken behind Robinson. I've seen the changes in him from when he was uh, a, a fire breathing candidate. I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's just firebrand. I mean, he would he lights the room on fire, kind of, in how he's changed. I spoke behind him in an event in Brunswick County. I've said that before, and it's very different. There's a very different kind of Mark Robinson, and it's not more measured. It's almost like he's assumed a bigger-than-life personality in some ways, but it, it remains to be seen. I've known Dale Falwell and Andy Wells. Andy Wells know there, known Bill Graham. Dale Falwell, it's surprising that Dale Falwell doesn't show up better although he's not really good at being the center of attention. Falwell's been an astute, uh, a shrewd, actually, I think, legislator when he was there. He he was 
very conservative. He's given probably more speeches than anybody running for governor on either side. He has been a grassroots guy. It's interesting the grassroots don't know him as well, but he's a state treasurer, a very effective state treasurer. So if you look at accomplishments, if it was based on accomplishments, Dale Falwell would be the front runner. But he doesn't hasn't surrounded himself with big money, uh, donor class. He hasn't uh, doesn't have a huge team. He didn't go out and get a high dollar person to run his campaign. So that may, may ultimately be a shortcoming that's going to be very difficult for him to overcome. Whereas Mark Robinson does have the team and the money, and and they're really doing a bang up job of getting out there. But it's not about messaging; it's about popularity. Now on the Democrat side, gets very interesting as well is uh, let me get up to that part of the story because the Josh Stein situation is very... A new December poll from the left-leaning public policy polling has Democrat Josh Stein in the lead. The two-term attorney general has been in the race since January and was solo for a while until retired NC Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan entered the race. During the December candidate filing, three more Democrats added their names to the list, and that's Shrell, Booker, Marcus Williams, and Gary Fox. PPP polling, uh, PPP reports that Stein has more than half of Democrat voters sewn up, 56%. Morgan trails with five, followed by Williams, four, Booker, three, Fox, one. Another 32% not sure. PPP said the margin of error for the December 15-16 survey is plus or minus 4.2 percentage points. So it looks like Josh Stein is actually secured at this point, looks to have secured his nomination more than Mark Robinson has far more voters in the Democrat primary in favor of him at this point. A potential Robinson-Stein matchup has Robinson leading 44 to Stein's 40 with 16% undecided. That just shows a lot of uncertainty there. I don't think it. And then it gets into the discussion about, uh, you know, endorsements and what that will mean. So we'll see. Cooper has endorsed Josh Stein, by the way, although I don't, most people are supposing that he's not going to really get involved in that race. I think Cooper's trying to figure out what he's going to do next, probably a run at a Senate uh, slot or an attempt to be in a, in a cabinet for a Biden to uh, re-election. I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> it's hard for me to say that Biden could get reelected. It's actually a possibility. So we'll see what happens, but I just want to give you an update. That's where we are right now. Do you have a caller uh, that was listening the last segment or so? And that's uh, former Representative Larry Pittman, I believe. Is that correct? Mr. Pittman. Well, former, yeah. <laughs> Are you, you a county commissioner now, aren't you? Running. Not, I'm running. Not oh, running for county commissioner. Okay, I got goes. that wrong. Oh, boy. He's just, uh, from the from the from the fire to the deeper fire, I'll tell you, it's a, <laughs> running for the, the it's the more local the office is, the 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 the, the biz, more bizarre it can become and the tougher it can become. So good luck with that. Now you were calling in, you were listening, I guess, on the last segment about the the gubernatorial race, the primaries. What's on your brain? Well, first, I'll answer what you just said. Uh, I wouldn't be doing it if I hadn't so, had so many people here in the county ask me to do it. I argued why I shouldn't do it, and they wouldn't listen and kept after me till I finally broke down and filed. So we'll see how it goes. They've promised to help me, so we'll see how it goes. Um, what I want to talk to you about, though, is Dale Falwell. Um, a lot of people in the state, you say Dale Falwell, and they say, who's that? And that's such a shame because he's not only the best treasurer that we've had to my recollection. But, you know, I served with him in the House, and then he went to the Commerce Department. And we had a business in Harrisburg, which was in my district, that was afraid they were about to have to just about go out of business because they were being told that they owed $20,000 
uh, for unemployment benefits. And it turned out there were several people who used to work for them who had left that employment and had already gotten other jobs and were still drawing uh, not, not Social Security uh, unemployment, yeah, unemployment benefits on him. And so I called Commerce and told him, you know, what was going on. And uh, no, nah, he he's going to have to pay us the twenty thousand dollars. So I hung up and I called back. I said, "Let me talk to Dale Falwell." Within two days, not only did the guy not owe the twenty thousand dollars, but they were going after the people who had cheated him. You know, who were who were cheating on right. the unemployment benefits. Um, and when I was in the house, you know, I'd have uh, constituents who needed help with problems they were having, and I couldn't do much about it myself. But I called Dale, and he took care of them. You know, um, anytime somebody needed some help with, a, you know, legitimate help with a problem that they were having involving the government, Dale was the best guy he could go to to get that help that those people needed. And um, people just don't know the things he has done. He's done great things for this state, for our people, and that's where his heart is, the people. You know, yeah. he says all the time that as treasurer, He's the keeper of the public purse. He understands that the money that the state government deals with is not our money, not the state's money. It's the people's money. It doesn't belong to the government. And he intends to be very responsible in the use of our money, the people's money. And he will do that as governor just like he has as treasurer. And it's just it's just such a shame that people listen to a bombastic speech and get all excited, oh, that's what we need, when the, the speaker doing the bombastic speaking hasn't done a cotton-picking thing. When Dale well, has is, done all these great things for the people of this state, he's the man who deserves to be governor. I, and I'll add to that in this way, and, and I'd say there's an old, it probably didn't originate in Star Trek, which where I heard it probably 20 years ago, in chess it's possible to not make any wrong moves and still lose. Falwell, I, I've known him for many years. I agree with you. He's very, he's very pragmatic. He's interested in solving problems. He understands what the role of government should be. He understands the importance of when you're dealing with taxpayer money. He doesn't make bombastic speeches. In fact, he's overcome tremendous adversity in his speech patterns. You know that. I know that. Uh, right. He overcame a tremendous stutter when he was much younger. He's lost a child in a horrible accident. He has been well, he's one of the top motocross racers. People, He's not flashy. He's not. He doesn't throw out big phrases. He is exactly what you said. He's he's a humble servant in many ways. He is very good at articulating the problem and solving it. When he was a le- you served with him in the legislature. Even then, he didn't sign on to everybody's everybody else's legislation just to be another signature. He picked very carefully the things that he supported. Even when he was in the legislature, did he not? He did when right, I right absolutely. I his whole heart is is not for Dale Falwell. He's for the people. And what is our our best interest? Defending our rights, making sure people are not violating our rights, that sort of thing. That's the kind of person Dale is. And he's not about self promotion like a lot of other people are who catch most of the attention. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And it sounds like we were going on and on about an endorsement for Dale. The truth of the matter is, there's people running. And it is a shame that they don't know more about the candidates. The, the, the interesting thing to me in the polling that I just reviewed is that 50% of those that are going are likely voters in the GOP primary haven't made up their mind and don't know a lot about the candidates. So even with all of this rhetorical stuff that's been said, as you said, this bombastic pontification, 
it, it it's still kind of anyone's race. But I, I do think, and I've said this, I think that if, if Dale Falwell wants to be a well-known candidate, there's two things he has to do. One, he has to get a consultant team together. I hate that it, it requires that these days, but you have to have it. And you've really got to hone in that message. And I think he's got a, a great message, but not a lot of people know about it because he's only giving speeches in 35 communities out there. So we'll see. But Representative Pittman, I appreciate you calling in and I appreciate you listening. All right. God bless you. You know, Tammy and I love you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's much appreciated. You guys have been great and I appreciate that. So Representative Pittman now running for County Commissioner. Whew, I've been down that road. He has too. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a lot. I mean it's it's tough. It's funny. The higher I remember and I don't want I want to I don't want to undermine any any political type, but I remember a certain former governor and I having a discussion and he said, you know what, Chad, it's funny, the higher the office that you run and aspire to, the less you have to know. And I guess that kind of is proven with the current president right now that doesn't seem to have been in, been in D.C. forever. The country says, oh, we hate D.C., but we're going to put the guy that's been there the longest in. We'll see. You know, there, there is, a, there is a, a temptation to be very chagrined about a lot of things, but that doesn't serve a useful purpose. Get active. Get involved. Be a part of something larger than yourself. Find that's kind of a key to happiness there. But uh, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110, if you'd like to be a part of the broadcast here at News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Um, and, and appreciate Representative Pittman's comments there on the race. It, it is interesting that people tried to, and, and again, it sounds like I'm really beating up on Mark Robinson. I'm not trying to. I, it, sometimes stating things that are very obvious sounds negative. I don't mean for it to. People have tried to equate Mark Robinson as the North Carolina Donald Trump. Well, there's a distinction with a difference there, and it has a lot to do with, well, Trump was a, a household name for decades. I mean, it, it reshaped the New York skyline. It had been extremely successful in business, like him or not. He had been he had received, actually, NAACP awards, uh, believe it or not. It's hard to believe. The left loved him until he declared he was a Republican, and very again, very well known, very accomplished, huge success in media as well, uh, a massive ego also. But he, but Mark Robinson's not that, wasn't that, isn't that. He is lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor has very few real powers and duties. It's there. It's 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 kind of like being vice president in many ways. It's it doesn't run a state agency. That that office doesn't. As Hal Weatherman can tell, you, he's running for lieutenant governor now, and he was the chief of staff for Dan Forrest. For the two, you know, the, the time that, that Forrest was there, it's not the same. It's just not not like running a state agency, uh, and th that's the distinction with the difference. I think Mark Robinson is very good at delivering red meat. He's extremely good at at saying things in a very direct way that that. Many in the grassroots and having giving, I've given, I don't know, hundreds of speeches in grassroots over the past 25, longer than that, 25 years and, and been a writer and, and been a part of that. And you, you see it when people articulate. It's one thing to say it. It's another to be able to do it. Dale also does it, but he does it in a very calm way. But he also has a lot of experience to back it up. He's run, been successful in business. He's been successful in in public sector. He's been, and again, it sounds like I'm giving a commercial for Dale. My frustration is that there isn't kind of equal footing for the candidates to take their message to the folks. But that's campaigning. It doesn't, you know, otherwise you'd have to have kind of a communist regime where it says these are the three candidates, gives them all the equal footing and says go. Politics isn't fair. 
It's not, and it, and we see this every day. And and to that point, you know, as we're looking, the the I think the primary is coming up on March fifth in North Carolina. We'll see basically ninety days plus ninety five, six, seven, eight days, somewhere like that, less than a hundred. Yeah, less than a hundred days, and we'll see how these campaigns shake out. There's a lot that could happen. I know that the Democrats really, for whatever reason, I I know their reasons why they want to face Mark Robinson. They want Mark Robinson. I can tell you in a heads-up race, Josh Stein, I don't believe, at least some of the folks close to him that I personally know, don't want to really face Dale Falwell in that fall race because he's kind of a dark horse. And it's going to be very tough for them to run as if Josh Stein has done more for the people of North Carolina than Dale Falwell were they to find themselves in that position. But we'll see. I think they're they're ready to run against a Mark Robinson campaign, Josh Stein being Jewish, some of the assertions and allegations that Mark Robinson and some of the comments he's made, the anti-Semitic comments, uh, that's going to play well to Josh Stein. And so Josh, all Josh is trying to do is establish that he's a North Carolinian. That's his big goal right now. If you look at the Attorney General, he's not running tough on crime. He's not running, oh, you know, as, as a Jewish person to say, hey, the situation in Israel is terrible and Hamas needs to be destroyed. He's not running that. He's just running, hey, I was I met my wife here. I raised my kids here. I'm a North Carolinian just like you. Although I went to Harvard, although I was raised in Chapel Hill, I was born in D.C., and my family's been uber wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not just your everyday North Carolinian. You're you're just not. It's going to be it's very difficult for Josh to rate, relate, and you know that because that's what his campaign's trying to do. They posted a picture of him touching a cow, as if he can really connect to farming and the rural aspects of North Carolina, and and it's going to be very difficult for him to do that. He is a creature of being in politics for a long time. Nothing. I'm not putting that down, but but when I see the kind of spin that's being applied to different people, it's it's very interesting to see how that goes now. Along those lines, uh, from the Associated Press, one of the other problems that's facing voters is the trust in the election process. This is not an issue to be cast aside. Uh, CNN, MSNBC, and the rest of them that want to say, oh, it's a big lie. There are no issues. We know there have been convictions of election fraud. We know that there are issues there. We know that people question it. And that is a serious problem. It's one thing not to trust your media. It's another not to trust the election process. With the GOP presidential primaries just about to start, many Republicans are not certain the votes will be counted correctly. And by the way, it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, too. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, About one third of Republicans say they have a great deal or quite a bit of confidence that votes in the Republican primary and caucuses will be counted. And we're talking about the primary. We're not talking about the, the general election. Many Republicans don't trust the primary. About three in 10 Republicans have a moderate amount of confidence. 32% said they have only a little or none at all. So 32%. So that means 68% of Republicans feel it's okay. But the way the Associated Press worded it, you would think this is very different. Because they then go say, in contrast, 72% of Democrats have high confidence that their party will. Democrats also slightly more, slightly more likely than Republicans to have a high level of confidence in the Republican Party's vote being counted accurately. In other words, Democrats have more confidence in the Republican primary than the Republicans do. Republicans continue to broadly be broadly doubtful about votes being counted accurately in the early contests and beyond them. About one quarter of Republicans say they have at least quite a bit of confidence that the votes in the presidential election will be counted accurately, significantly lower than Democrats. Slightly fewer than half of U.S. adults overall believe the same. This is a skepticism that is problematic. Now, it's interesting because they mentioned the 72% of Democrats have high confidence. 
28% of Democrats don't. About one in four Democrats don't. So as far as CNN talking about the big lie and everything, a lot of Democrats don't have a great deal of confidence either in the process. So we are in an odd time. And I'll, I'll, I don't, I'm not pessimistic about this so much as we don't trust the World Health Organization. We don't trust the CDC. We don't believe that the administration really cares about the southern border. We don't have a great deal of confidence that we're being represented abroad in, in a very positive way. We don't look very confident there. We don't have a confidence in our election that we should. This is not, not to mention the confidence in the economy right now. The American public is extremely concerned about a broad array of issues, not the least of which is what's happening nationally. Much more to go. Third hour getting ready to be underway here. Chad Adams, your guest host. We'll be right back. So much more to go. If you want to get in on the conversation, you can call. Stay on hold. 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. We'll be right back.